Welcome on into Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome on in on a Friday edition of the show. Going to be catching up with Ryan Abraham of uscfootball.com today to talk about the USC Trojans, BYU's week three opponent as our, our opponent preview series continues. Some great thoughts from him you'll hear in the second and third segments of today's podcast. First segment today, going to get to the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame Player of the Year Award nominees, four of them from the from BYU, as well as profiling number 20 on the rosters. We we're just 20 days away from BYU and Utah kicking off the season, talking about sophomore kicker Skylar Southam. So a lot to get to on today's edition of the podcast, brought to you today by our good friends at the Locked On NFL Podcast, another part of the Locked On Podcast Network. We'll tell you about them here in just a little bit. And with that, let's get going. This is the Locked On Cougars podcast for August 9th, 2019. What's up, guys? I'm Jake Hatch, your host here on Locked On Cougars, your resident BYU insider. I work for the Zone Sports Network in Salt Lake City, Utah. And thanks again for joining us on a Friday edition of the show. Hopefully you guys are all ready for the weekend here. Thanks again for downloading the Locked On Cougars podcast and for your continued patronage of this podcast. Kicking things off today, talking about the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame Player of the Year Award watch list that was released earlier this week. Four Cougars on the list. And of course, these are players that are fanned out across the country who are of Polynesian heritage. I have been to the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame out at the um out at the uh, BYU Hawaii University at the Polynesian Cultural Center. It's a fantastic thing. If you're ever ever able to get over to the islands, I would recommend taking about 10 to 15 minutes to to walk through the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame. Vai Sikahema, a former BYU great, and the group that he works with have done an incredible job preserving the legacy of Polynesian players in football, both of the collegiate and the pro ranks. So I'd encourage you guys to check that out. But they give out an award annually to the best uh, Polynesian football player in college football each year. And four BYU Cougars are on the watch list this year. Uh, senior wide receiver Aleva Hifo, uh, junior linebacker Isaiah Kaufusi, senior tight end Marone Laulu Pututau, and junior defensive tackle Kairos Tonga are the four BYU Cougars nominated for this year's award. Uh, if, you, if you were asking me, does BYU have any shot of winning this award? Eh, I, that's that's to be debated because Tua Tonga Vailoa easily is probably the favorite to win the award. Of course, the Heisman Trophy uh, candidate from the University of Alabama with the Crimson Tide. He's one of the favorites on this list. And there are uh, probably 50 or more names on the watch list. But if BYU had a good season, a guy like Aleva Hifo really stood out. There's a chance for it. But it's still cool to see all four of these guys getting their name on this watch list. There are actually four guys in my mind. And Moroni is probably the one that's most questionable at this point that I believe have potential to play in the pros. Uh, Moroni, of course, has dealt with two season-ending injuries, a Liz Frank injury to his foot and as well as an ACL reconstruction that he's battling back from right now. And we'll have to see if he actually gets on the field this year. We need to see how his, how his academic situation plays out. But I feel like all four of these guys listed on this watch list have a pro future if they so choose to pursue that coming out of BYU. And I think that's a 
good thing if you're a BYU fan. So congratulations to all four of them on receiving that honor. Uh, we're going to get to a break here. We had a longer conversation with Ryan Abraham, and it's going to take up the majority of today's podcast, but some fantastic thoughts on USC and BYU from him. But before we do that, though, do need to get to our church and state player countdown profile today, and that is number 20 on the roster, and that is sophomore kicker Skyler Southam, a native of, native of Heber City, Utah. He served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Santiago, Chile, the Santiago West Mission down there in Chile, and came back a year ago as a true freshman and I thought I had an up and down season but I, the way people talk about Skylar Southam because of course he's in a highly publicized position battle with Jake the Make Oldroyd at the kicker position for BYU the way I hear some people talk about him is I feel like they're just throwing him aside and saying go ahead Jake it's your job I thought Skylar was actually pretty good a year ago he had a uh, career long kick of 47 yards of course uh, won the game against uh, Wisconsin with that kick the biggest win BYU's had probably in Kalani Satake's tenure in my mind. And I thought he had a good season all in all. I made 42 of 44 extra points. You'd like to see that 100%, but 95% as it is. He only had two kickoffs a year ago. I would expect he's probably going to take on more of a responsibility with kickoffs. I don't think Jake Goldroyd necessarily um, has the same range on his kickoffs that Skyler does. So we'll see who wins that job. So maybe one of them is the place kicker in terms of kicking field goals. And one is the kickoff specialist, as people like to term it. But Skyler Southam, I feel like, is a guy that... is going to get plenty of looks this year. He's in the middle of the battle. If he doesn't win the kicking job, he could be in a battle with Danny Jones to uh, take that punter position away from Danny, the junior punter from Melbourne, Australia. We've seen Skyler, Jake, and Danny all kicking punts during the media viewing portion of practice previously this fall. But it's going to be a big fall for Skyler Southam as he looks to hold on to the incumbent kicking job that he has retained, at least for last year, coming out of Wasatch High School, former high school All-American, Army All-American, had some incredible kicks in high school, and I'm hopeful he's able to continue that in a BYU uniform. But we shall see how the season plays out. I guess the good part is if you're a BYU fan, all three of the specialists on BYU's roster, I guess two of them I should say, Jake and Skyler, they can punt and kick. So that should help make up for any deficiencies with the punting game that I've been very worried about from BYU. And we'll see how it all shakes out. But Skyler South, number 20, as we're 20 days away from BYU and Utah kicking off the season, we are under three weeks. It's coming fast, folks. Get excited. It's going to be a fun time uh, this season as we cover BYU football. All right, we'll take a time out here, come back on the other side. You'll hear from Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Great thoughts on the Trojans, BYU's Week 3 opponent. We'll get to that in a, just here in just a minute. Reminder for you guys that the Locked On NFL podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network is absolutely on fire. One of the most listened to podcasts over the past week on all the major podcatchers out there. Uh, Matt Williamson and Brian Peacock bring this show to you. Matt Williamson, of course, a former NFL scout, and Brian Peacock, most notably no, uh, the host of Locked On 49ers, but just a great overall host for this show. Locked On NFL is your daily national podcast on all things NFL with Matt's unique takes on the game. Follow Locked On NFL now on your favorite podcast provider, available everywhere that this podcast is available as well. So check that out, guys. The Locked On NFL podcast, along with the Locked On Cougars podcast, proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Welcome back. 
back to Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Pleased to welcome in now Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. In my mind, the foremost authority when it comes to covering USC. So excited to catch up with him. Ryan, how are you? I'm doing all right. Just uh, can't wait for football season to start just a couple weeks away. Uh, it, uh, up here in Utah, I think we've already entered like the mid-fall uh, camp malaise of, okay, what else do we have to talk about now? Is it the same down there in, in Trojan land, or is it still pretty exciting? I guess it's, you know the first week is finishing up, and they just had their full, first full pads practice yesterday. But, yeah, sitting out there in practice, it's kind of hot outside when you're watching things. It's getting a you know, little bit of a grind, but not, you know, not too bad. It's not like the two-a-day stuff we used to cover before, but still, it's getting there. Uh, USC and BYU scheduled to play week three in Provo. How real is the pressure on Clay Helton currently? It's huge. It's uh, it's real. And, I mean, you're talking about an early part of the schedule. In conference, you're playing Stanford and Utah early on, and then you go on the road and play Washington. And then out of conference, you got a 12-game winner last year. You're your opener, uh, Fresno State. They're opening up the Coliseum, uh, the newly renovated Coliseum. Like you mentioned, the, the BYU road trip, a team that was you know, getting hot at the end of last year and is always going to be tough and uh, hosting three Pac-12 teams in their first month and then going on the road and taking on uh, Notre Dame, like a playoff team. So it's not going to be real easy. There is a lot of pressure uh, on Clay Helton to win after a 5-7 and seven season. And you're talking about that kind of early start. Uh, it's just not going to be an easy task for him and his team. How is he handling it? When he talks to the media, does he bring it up at all? Does he handle it well? Like, what's kind of been his mentality on all of this? You know, I think from the beginning, he's handled it pretty well. I think after the 2017 season, they won the Pac-12, but they really got embarrassed in the, the power games, like Notre Dame, and, and Ohio State in, in the bowl game, in the Cotton Bowl. And I feel like a lot of the, the media and fans wanted some kind of changes after that season. But Clay Hilton really just stood pat, you know, and not, didn't recognize some of the deficiencies. Well, you know, it worked out in a lot of ways that, that year because they did win the Pac-12. But then 2018, as you know, they, they ended up going 5-7. and seven. So a lot of the changes that needed to be made after 2017 didn't happen. I think that pretty much forced his hand. I mean, a lot of fans wanted him fired. They flew a airplane banner over the Coliseum <laughs> yeah. asking Lin Swan, the athletic director, to do that. Um, but, you know, and obviously that didn't happen. So I think he knew there wasn't any time left. You can't just stand pat. You have to, to make some changes. And to his credit, I think he did a lot. You know, I don't think he did enough. There was more changes I think that could have been made. But I think he made significant changes. And it seems, you know, it's hard for a leopard to change his spots or whatever. But it seems like... He's saying the right things. We're seeing practice conducted differently. He's given over the offense to a 34-year-old coach and keeping his hands off where they used to have one where four or five people would always have their hands in what was going on. So I feel like he's treated it the right way. But once the games start, does he go back, kind of revert back to the way he was being before, or is it going to be full steam ahead with this kind of new regime? So I'm curious to see, but at least for the offseason, I think he's made the necessary changes. Is it going to be enough? Is it going to work and change the entire culture and, and turn this team around? We've got to wait and see. And like I said, it's not, it's not going to be easy coming out of the gate with that kind of a schedule. We saw in the offseason the whole uh, fiasco with Cliff Kingsbury taking the offensive coordinator job, then leaving for the Arizona Cardinals. They bring in what I think most people, and just me reading up on this, they call Graham Harrell almost Cliff Kingsbury Jr. in a way, just the kind of the way he's going about his career here. How has Graham taken to this job as the offensive coordinator with USC? 
Yeah, you know, he had some good opportunities. He could have went to North Carolina with Mac Brown, and I feel like, you know, with Seth Luttrell there at North Texas, he liked uh, what he had. And, you know, it was three years as an offensive coordinator, and they had top 25 offenses. And, you know, you, you could see he was a star in the making. Going to a place like USC, there's just not a lot of opportunities that, you know, how many schools can you win a national championship at? There's just not that many. USC is definitely one of them, and I think he kind of jumped at that chance. I think part of it had to be he had to run his offense. They they ran what they what T. Martin co- co- uh, coined the gumbo offense because it was stuff that was sort of left over from Lane Kiffin, from Steve Sarkeesian, from Clay Helton, and then Tyson Helton was there working on things, and Brian Ellis, the quarterback coach, and T. Martin. It's like they just had all these little pieces. They kept adding plays, and there really wasn't any cohesion or efficiency to it. Now you bring in uh, someone that has a completely new philosophy. It's much simpler. You can install the entire offense in three practices in the spring and then just repeat the process four times over the 15 practices. And that's what they did. So I, I feel like it's a good fit. It's a little bit different than the air raid, like you see with Mike Leach. They're not going to throw the ball 70% of the time. And I think it's different than even what Cliff Kingsbury had. They, you, know, you, you haven't seen a lot of Kyler Murray type of guys uh, with Graham Harrell. He likes getting the ball out quickly. It's more of a quick passing, find the open man, and move the sticks. He's not really encouraging any of the quarterbacks to take off and run. So I think it's a little bit different, but it's that that you know in that vein of offense. There's different intricacies to it, but I I feel like it's a good fit for what USC is doing as long as Clay Helton kind of keeps his hands off and says, okay, Graham, you do do what you got to do. And so far, I think he's been doing a good job. Yeah, I wanted to ask you because he did come in with that moniker, the air raid, and I'm with you. It's a, it's a different offense uh, here locally along the Wasatch Front. I think a lot of BYU fans, in particular, probably saw Utah State take on North Texas, and it's it's not a true air raid system, but it has that moniker attached to it. How have uh, USC fans uh, have they been okay with that moniker being attached to their offense? Because I know in in the past the air raid's been kind of almost a, a word that people don't want to hear associated with their football program. Yeah, sometimes people look at it as being gimmicky. But when you see a program like Oklahoma, you know, doing it, you know, really well, it'd be a different kind of air raid. But I think that is something that's, you know, you can latch on to. There's some USC fans that still want to do the student body left, student body right. And Clay Helton will talk about, you know, using, incorporating a power run game as well. And, uh, you know, not just abandoning the run. And, you know, to his credit, I think they ran the ball more at North Texas than you have at a lot of, uh, you know, quote-unquote air raid places. And they're not really sure what to call it, but it is in that vein uh, of being an air raid. But, you know, if it, if it scores a lot of points, um, I mean, USC was 90th in scoring last year, uh, tied with Oregon State. So if they can go back up into the top 25 instead of, like, 26 points a game, scoring, like, 35, I don't think the fans will care too much about it. Uh, but if it, if it was, like, a, you know, 75% passing offense, maybe they would be saying something. But at this point, I think there's going to be enough of the run game incorporated, and they'll score a bunch of points that they'll probably be okay with it. I, I, I think I, everybody kind of echoes that. It's just the whole Al Davis just win, baby, and I think it cures all. <laughs> I think it really does help out people. You know, I talked to Norm Chow uh, like uh, a few months ago. We spoke at, yeah. uh, at well, I spoke at an event he was at, and it's funny. He talked about that being like, you know, some of those air raid concepts. He's like, that's we developed that stuff at BYU, so it's mm-hmm. interesting uh, for him to say that kind of stuff. And it's like they call it something different, but he was definitely. Uh, you know, he was like, hey, it's not like very different than what we were doing. 
Yeah, Norm could probably watch most of those route concepts and be like, yeah, yeah we used that in 1984 from BYU. Come on, <laughs> it's not new. But it, it, as long as it score points, you're right. You're absolutely dead on. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, they didn't make many changes with USC. How have Clancy Pendergast and his guys gone about with this defense? Yeah, you know, they're saying they're making changes. Now, we haven't really seen them yet, but they're saying they simplified things. You talk to the players, so they – Obviously, they simplified the offense by bringing in Graham Harrell. Um, I, what they want to do on the defensive side of the ball is less sort of like reading and figuring out, you know, which way they want to go. It's more about having their athletes just go react and, and make plays. And I'm not sure if it's going to look all that different. That's at least what the talking points have been. Maybe one difference, if you look at the defensive front, they typically were having – two guys with their hands on the ground and they would have like a predator position, their Sam linebacker that would uh, be more back into coverage and he could rush and, you know, rush the passer. But now they're going to have like a, a third guy with their hand on the ground. So more maybe like of a three, three, five sort of front. Um, and so I'm curious to see how different that looks. We've seen that through the first few practices of fall camp. It seems like that that's what the, the direction that they're going. I, you know, some of it was, you know, Clancy Pendergast would, would change what he was doing with most of the spread offenses and then play kind of a different defense against uh, Stanford on their schedule. But, you know, I think now there's they're a little bit more balanced, and I think that's what he's trying to do. And they, they have a pretty good, as far as, you know, group of defensive linemen and, and, you know, outside linebackers, I think they have a really good group there. So they can kind of move some guys around and figure things out. So it, it probably will look a little bit different than what they saw last year. Uh, and the biggest question mark is going to be, in the secondary, they have a bunch of guys coming off injuries. They have a bunch of you know incoming freshmen that are going to play. But from what we've seen, the guys coming off injuries, like a Talano Hufunga at safety, he's looked really good. Or Isaiah Polamau, um, Elijah Griffin at cornerbacks had five interceptions for the first five practices. So he's he's been doing all right. And they got Chris Steele, uh, who was a commit before and ended up enrolling in yeah. Florida and going through spring ball. And he's back, and he just got uh, cleared. So he can play this year. So he's someone that could come in and be an impact. So I think the secondary was a concern maybe a week ago, and it's less of a concern uh, that we're seeing now. All right. I wanted to ask you a little bit about some of the personnel here, Ryan, and talk about guys like Chris Steele, JT Daniels, et cetera. We'll get to that more in a moment here. A reminder for you guys, this podcast is available everywhere podcasts are to be found. And when you get in your car, make sure you plug in your smart device until it play podcast Locked On Cougars. More in a moment. This is the Locked On Cougars podcast. Welcome back to Locked On Cougars, your daily podcast focused on the BYU Cougars. Proud to be part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Joined for a second segment by Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Ryan, you said right before the break that Chris Steele, of course, transferred from Florida earlier on this summer. There was some question as if to, if he would be eligible to play this fall, and he did get, he did get that waiver approved. Uh, with him now being eligible to play, I know they're still waiting on Brew McCoy's status, but getting guys like this, five-star prospects, I think that helps uh, USC fans feel a little bit better about themselves. Am, am I right in that assessment? Yeah, the, the, I mean, the recruiting class was like out of the norm for USC because they lost out on guys like Chris Steele and Brew McCoy, and they were ranked like number 20 in the country. They're typically like a bad class is in the top 10, mm-hmm. um, and normal classes are in the top five or six. 
but they, you know, get those, getting those two guys back, uh, the transfer portal, they lost some guys, but they, they picked up a couple big ones, including uh, Drew Richmond, the uh, offensive tackle, who'll be in the mix for a starting spot from Tennessee, the grad transfer. But getting Chris Steele back, uh, getting Brew McCoy back, I think those are important ads. And, you know, one of those things, like we talked about before the break, the, the secondary, there was a lot of question marks there. You know, Talanoa Funga broke his collarbone twice. Mm-hmm. He's a five-star prospect, was a stud last year, started five games at safety, and he's 100% full go. So having a guy like that, you're not questioning his injury status, is a big deal. And Chris Steele is someone that, you know, from the cornerback slot, they lost a lot of leadership, a lot of seniors from this secondary last year. So getting Chris Steele eligible and letting him at least be in the two deep, you know, who knows if he's going to start, but he's going to be pushing the other guys. You know, maybe that pushes an Elijah Griffin to, to play better. Like he's, like I said, he's had five interceptions so far. Uh, Isaac Taylor Stewart's another guy that was kind of in that same class with Elijah Griffin coming in. He had an interception yesterday. So I think having a guy like Chris Steele there can kind of push the younger corners that are hanging around and, and all the, the other new freshmen, you know, true freshmen that are coming into the program as well. So it's, like I said, I feel like the big concern on defense was certainly the secondary before. I'm not so sure it's as big of a concern. You know, you could be a couple injuries away from worrying about the linebacker spot. But before it was mostly about the secondary. Now I think they feel pretty good about what they have there. Along the defensive line, many BYU fans remember Jay Tufele from up here along the Wasatch Front playing at Bingham High School. I thought he was a fantastic player a year ago for USC. Are they expecting more of the same from him this year? Yeah, he was a guy. It's interesting, like coming in as a you know high four star, five star, whatever you want to say, and redshirting his first year. It's like you know you don't see that a lot. There was some other defensive lineman that came in and played his class, and people would ask you about him, like I think he's the best lineman that they brought in in that class. And now you're seeing it. He's on the all hair team. You look at his hair now; it's spectacular. <laughs> but he's really playing. Uh, well, and I think he's someone that's going to get a lot of turns. Um, they'll probably do some sort of a rotation up front, but with him uh, and Brandon Peely, who's from, he's like a grizzly bear from Alaska, and Marlon Tui Pelotu, I think they have three really good tackles that they can kind of rotate at those spots. But he's, uh, he's someone that a lot of people talk about as being like a, you know, a first day or second day draft pick uh, from what he's played, you know, the way he's played so far, and, you know, potential to put up some big numbers. So I, I think. You know, if you're, you know, you'd like guys that come from Utah, so you want to look at a guy like him. I think he's ready to kind of burst through, and he, I think he played well last year. But this might be a huge year for Jay Tafelli. Awesome. On the offensive side of the ball, is this truly a quarterback competition, or is it is it JT Daniels' job? You know, you got a guy that started 11 games last year. Uh, the only one he didn't start because he got hurt. And you know, if you look at the Notre Dame game, all the quarterbacks that played Notre Dame last year and they went to playoffs. He probably played the best out of all of them. And that, what they did was they simplified the offense at the end of the year, and he played better. And, you know, there's a lot of USC fans that are just not on the JT Daniels bandwagon. He comes in with the Trevor Lawrences of the world. I mean, I, I went to the All-American, the All-Star games and stuff, and saw JT Daniels play as good or better than Trevor Lawrence. And they're like, well, Trevor Lawrence, you know, goes on and wins a national championship. That's it, you know. I don't put the blame for last year on JT Daniels' shoulder. So for me, he was the best quarterback in practice. Um, he was, you know, didn't perform great last year. He was probably on the par with like a Matt Barkley, what he did his true freshman season. But with this new offense, I expect him to do great things. 
Now, they've split reps. Uh, he was thrown to a lot of walk-ons, J.T. Daniels was, mm-hmm. for the first few practices. But yesterday, in the first day of full pads, he did get the first-team reps with the first-team offense. And I think that's the direction they're going to go going forward. But they say it's a real quarterback competition. Uh, Clay Hilton says it could take up all the way up to the, you know, the Fresno State game. I don't think it's going to take that long to make the decision. But they've split up the reps between the four quarterbacks. So they're at least showing, hey, we're going to let everybody compete. But it would be mind-blowing to me if it doesn't end up being you know, JT Daniels with what he accomplished last year under this crazy, horrible offense they were running. He should be able to do a lot better things uh, with this new offense. At the receiver position, <clears throat> there's always talent there for USC, but they've got a guy on the all-name team, Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, the, of course, the St. Brown family's got – they've had three sons that have come through the collegiate ranks. In terms of receivers, uh, Amon Ra, guys like uh, Michael Pittman, etc., how are the receivers looking so far? Yeah, it's a, it's a studly group. Um, really, Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, his dad, like you said, put you know three guys through you know, major college programs, Notre Dame and Stanford and USC. He was – uh, Mr. Universe, and, yeah. uh, is, you know, involved in there. I mean, he's a, as far as like workout guys, like he he looks like, and he doesn't look like a receiver as far as his physique goes. But he, you know, as a as a sophomore, I think he might lead the team in catches. And you're talking about guys like you know, Michael Pittman, who was a stud last year. Tyler Vaughn's probably my favorite of the group, former five star, and uh, just really is a he can high point the ball and. Uh, I, I just like his game. He's really smooth as a wide receiver, and he just looks like a guy that was built to play wide receiver. And you know, they got other guys coming in, like a Drake London, who's a you know was a basketball football player. He's a true freshman. He's looked great so far in the fall. And a, the, they had a three-star, Manier McLean, who's like a six-four wide receiver that's been killing it through fall camp. And that's someone you don't even expect to contribute. A guy like Devin Williams that came in last year. They have a lot of depth at the position, and they they need to have eight wide receivers ready. In this uh, in this offense, and I, I think at the top end they're as good as anyone in the Pac-12, and probably top two or three in the country as far as wide receivers go. So that should help this offense work better because they have such a talented group of, of wide receivers. It's probably their deepest group, most talented group. Uh, they've always brought in you know four and five star talent. That position is just kind of stockpiled right now. The running back position just in USC history, I'm a college football fan in general, and just USC running backs are littered throughout college football history with just how much legacy they've got. This new offense, are they still going to utilize the running backs they've got on the roster currently as heavily as they have done in the past? Yeah, well, that's the big question fans want to know. I think they're going to try to run the ball more. It might depend on who the opponent is. Uh, I watch for Stephen Carr. I think he's he looks like if we, we used to cover him on the seven on seven circuit. He's a former five star. I mm-hmm. uh, had a back injury. He seemed to slow down some of his explosiveness uh, last year after the injury. But Clay Hilton thinks he's back and still got that that burst. And if he does, he's a difference maker in an offense like this because he would play like wide receiver on the seven on seven circuit. He was he was as good as a wide receiver as you would have out there playing running back. So him being able to run the ball, you know, between the tackles, go outside, but catching these little swing passes and stuff in this offense, and they want you to get rid of the ball quick. So if you look downfield and someone's not open, they want you to take that dump off. And if it's a guy like Stephen Carr you're dumping the ball off to, he's a matchup nightmare, and I think he can really make a difference. Um, so he could be the – he's probably the X factor as far as the running backs go. Is he healthy? Does he have that kind of burst? that he had before, but they love Avai Malapai from Hawaii. He's kind of a good mix. He can catch the ball, too. Good mix of kind of power and speed. And then Marquis Stepp came in last year, 
kid out of Indiana, and man, he's just 230-pound back. They haven't used backs like that. Mike Jinks, the running backs coach, who's coached in this uh, this offense with Graham Harrell, he hasn't really had a back that was that big and was able to get a big burst. He had a long touchdown run yesterday, really the first good run they've had in, in fall camp with the, you know with full pads on, and it's, he's a difference maker because they haven't really had a guy like that in this offense. So I'm curious to see how they use those guys. Um, but, you know, Stephen Carr is probably the one to watch, number seven. If, if he's healthy, he's the guy that will probably make this offense go because he can do so much in the passing game as well as the run game. Last thing for me, Ryan, is this game against BYU will be the first road game of the season for USC. You kind of talked about in the first segment, they've got a pretty tough stretch opening up against Fresno State, and then they got their uh, – annual early game against Stanford then they come to BYU what has been the perception of USC fans of BYU entering the 2019 season yeah I don't know if they know a whole lot I mean if you look at the early part of the schedule and you're a USC fan you're hoping for something good you have to look at tough game against Fresno State a tough road game against BYU as like must wins no, not even questioning it. And th- you can't do that. I mean, you, if you saw the bowl game last year, what was he, he was uh, 18 for 18 for like 300-something yards yeah. and three touchdowns. I mean, you're talking about an offense that was clicking and moving the ball well. To go on the road, and this is going to be a battle-tested BYU team. What was it? Utah, Washington, going to you know, Tennessee, Knoxville, yeah. play in Tennessee. I mean, this is like going to be a big one. And if you, it's a horrible stretch for BYU the first four games. And if you're going to look at, hey, which game do you think is the easiest to win? It's either going to be USC or Tennessee on the road. <laughs> um, so I think you're going to get a fully you know, awake BYU team in this game. And if USC is even taking it somewhat lightly, uh, it, it's not going to go well. So I, I, don't, I don't think the fans are paying it enough attention because there's so many other games. But like you said, first road game, you have to be ready for this because this is not going to be, you know, it's not like a BYU squad that's going to roll over here. So, um, but I'm not sure. At that point, we don't know. If they play poorly against Fresno State and win and then like lose against Stanford, I'm not even sure what kind of mentality this team is going to have because they they felt good about the offseason work and they feel good about everything. But if you get punched in the mouth early, that could set up in snowball things. So we'll see. It's going to be really curious to see how they play those first two games. I think Stanford will tell us a lot. But then that first road game against BYU, I, I think the fans are going to have to pay a lot more attention to it than maybe what they're, they're paying now. Awesome. Well, Ryan, I could talk to you for another hour, I'm sure, about this. But time is up. I really do appreciate you taking the time. Looking forward to catching up with you as that game draws a little bit closer, okay? All right. Thanks so much for having me on. And, uh, yeah, looking forward to the football season. Almost here. There you have it, Ryan Abraham, uscfootball.com, the foremost authority when it comes to the USC Trojans. Can't thank him enough for taking the time to join us on the podcast. Some great thoughts there. And you heard him say he feels like USC fans maybe are overlooking BYU a little bit as they look at kind of the rest of their schedule. They've got a road game at Notre Dame. they got a road game at Washington. They've got Utah coming in right after BYU on a Friday night. They open up against Fresno State. They've got Stanford. It's not out of the not out of the question that USC could be off to a very bumpy start to start the season, similar to what I think what people would look at BYU in those first four games. You heard Ryan talk reference that the four power five opponents to start the game, but start the start the season, not to start the game. But it'll be interesting. Uh, USC comes in, and I think BYU's got an opportunity against the Trojans. We'll see how they look early on against Fresno State and Stanford, as you heard him reference. But he thinks that USC fans maybe are looking at BYU and taking them a little bit more lightly. But he apparently is not. 
not. He thinks it's going to be a tough road game for USC. All right, that'll do it for the podcast today. want to thank you guys once again for your continued patronage and support of the podcast. Please follow us on social media, Locked on Cougars on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can follow me at Jacob C. Hatch. Also, uh, drop us a line if you want via email, LockedOnBYU at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And let me know what you guys think. If you guys want certain guests, players, coaches, let me know. I'm happy to do my best to acquiesce your request. Just let me know who you're looking to hear from. All right, we'll catch you guys this weekend with the special player editions of our Church and State Player Countdown Series, as well as we'll be back on Monday with a full edition of Locked On Cougars. Going to be catching up with BYU punter Danny Jones, the man from Melbourne, Australia, the Aussie on BYU's roster. What does he make of his time at BYU? What's he trying to do to improve his ability to kick the ball? And a guy who's six foot four, two 240 pounds. Could he be in the mix to play another position? We'll talk to him about that on Monday, so stay tuned for that. But also make sure to check out our special player recap editions for the Church and State Player Countdown Series this weekend as well. Until then, have a great rest of your Friday. Hopefully you guys are all doing great, and we'll talk to you soon. This has been Locked on Cougars for August 9th, 2019.